Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. So grateful for our students and for Joe Walters leading that effort. Yesterday they had a car wash. Thanks, many of you got your car washed in order for them to go to Rock the Universe in February, and uh, you can still contribute to that effort. I'm so proud of our students, and I want them to have these awesome experiences as they're here um, in high school. So, grateful. Can you run that video, John? Stephen Trent Thomas. Resting to preach. A biblical theological evaluation of rest toward the preparation of sermons. Thank you. Thanks to Jim Farr for putting that together. I just want to take a moment here to thank you all for your encouragement during these years as um, I've been working on a doctor ministry degree and it's been an incredible experience. I hope you get the fruit of that um, as I've continued to try to improve. I graduated from the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth. It's one of the six Southern Baptist seminaries. And it is the second oldest and second largest. And it is an amazing place. It's been over there over, for over 100 years. Many of you probably know that there are over 40,000 Southern Baptist churches in the United States. And of that, there's about 15 million Southern Baptists. So we are a very large and critical denomination for the cause of Christ in America. We're not perfect. We've had some leaders do some stupid stuff. But I can tell you, we have some amazing, godly, humble leaders, especially professors in our seminaries. And I'm grateful uh, to be able to have studied and to achieve this, uh, this degree. As a family, we have four degrees from Southwestern. Julie holds her master's of religious education. Sarah Jo has her bachelor's degree in humanities from there. Sarah and Greg also hold master divinity degrees from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. Theological education is so, so important because Jesus is so important. Uh, I'm grateful for the Southern Baptist Convention for doing what it does in order to provide theological education at a reasonable cost. Um, Jesus is worth it. People have asked me sometimes, you know, why did you do this? You already have a lead pastor role. Why would you go ahead and kill yourself for eight years in order to get this degree? And Shelly's laughing at me because she has a terminal degree in education. I'm so proud of you, Shelly, for all that you do. Shelly, if you don't know, Shelly is the um, Dean of Education and Behavioral Sciences at PBA. And I'm so grateful that for her work there. And uh, Dave Smith, I don't think he's here today. Dave is a professor in business there. He also holds a doctorate degree. Why do that? Why get this level of education? And I can only say this. A, a wise man once told me, if you have the capability, you should get the top degree you can possibly get. And I almost didn't have the capability. I can tell you, it was close. It was very close. A few times I was like... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to finish this. Um, I came to our leaders earlier this year, and I said, you know what? I'm going to have to have some time off. I've been here 14 years. I've never taken a sabbatical, and I need to take some time in order to finish this so I can be done with it. And 
they graciously uh, allowed me to be gone for six weeks this summer in uh, three two-week periods in order to focus on writing. Because if you ever know about what it's like to write academically, it's a really warped way of thinking. Amen, Shelley? Amen. Yeah, it's, you have to get in a certain mindset in order to do it. And um, I was not able to do that and do ministry at the same time. So that's why I was gone a lot this year. Uh, but I'm very, very grateful for you. It's a great honor to serve with you. I didn't do this to get a better job. I did this in order that I could do the, be the very best at what I do. And uh, I continue to try to improve because the message of Christ is worth it. It's worth every bit of learning you will ever do. Um, every bit of Bible study you ever do. Uh, every bit of reading you ever do. It's absolutely worth it. And I'm grateful to have had the privilege um, to complete this degree. Um, so, with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 3, because proclaiming the Word of God is the most important thing that we do. And as you're doing that, let me thank you for, I was away last week, and I think we have a picture of our family as we were away last week in a place, a magical place called Kauai, um, through the generosity of some friends of my son and through our all family pulling together, we were able to spend 10 days in one house uh, in Kauai. Hawaii, and uh, it's a blessing from God. It's something we never could have afforded, but um, amazing time to gather as a family and share. Some great fun times, some great very deep spiritual discussions, and uh, it was amazing to get to spend that time together. Had a lot of fun and uh, enjoyed our grandchildren, and uh, just a great time away. And I, I, It was epic. It's something I can't imagine we even got to do, but we're grateful for it. So that's where we've been the last couple of weeks. I'm grateful for Greg Davis for preaching the Word of God and for Jimmy Land preaching last week. Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you for them and for what they did. And, um, you know, I think it's important as theological education is important. It's important to raise people up uh, to lead God's church. And uh, I'm grateful for young voices to be able to do that. Um, so Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. If you're new to us, you know that if you're new to us, you need to know that we preach the Word of God. We preach from the Word of God, and we try to proclaim exactly what the Word says, and we try to apply it to your lives in a way that's meaningful and helpful. So Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, this is all about the beginning of God's church and how the church was born and how God manifests Himself in it. Verse 11 says this, and while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now, I have to set the tone. Greg preached this passage right before this last week, and he preached about this initial miracle that the apostles did. It was a very Christ-like, it was something only Jesus could do. He healed a man who had been lame or crippled since birth. He didn't just have an accident. He didn't just suddenly not be able to walk. Rather, he was crippled from birth. And everybody knew it because they would put him outside the temple as people were coming in for daily prayers so he could be in position to receive. And so does Julie, and that's why we talk funny. But it was worth it, right? Um, and so they would set him by this portico and then, then by the temple, and people would come by, and it was a normal part of Jewish life, they would give alms or they would give money to those who were disabled. 
And so he had been sitting there for a long time. People knew him. People recognized him. And suddenly, he's healed. And when he gets healed, he just goes home quietly and doesn't tell anyone. That's what he does, right? No, that's not what he does, is it? He gets really excited, and he doesn't just walk. He becomes a basketball player. I mean, he jumps around. He leaps, and he's praising God, and he's so excited. And he is actually hanging on to, clinging to John and Peter and praising God for what has happened. And as this is happening, the people go, oh my goodness, this is incredible. We've never seen anything like this except for what Jesus did. And they come running to see what in the world has happened. Verse 12 and following. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Listen, always be skeptical of anyone who claims credit for what God has done. Amen. I mean, always be, be, be very skeptical. People say, you know what? I did this. I saved these people. I healed. Wait a minute. This is Peter and John saying, no, this wasn't us. It's a great mark of a follower of Jesus to point to Jesus rather than to point to ourselves. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. Oh, but Jesus can. We can help people understand what's going on. We can advise them. You know, we can encourage them. We can point out what God is doing. But it's God who does the work. Peter and John say, it wasn't us. Why do you think it was us? Why are you giving us the glory? And we always do that, don't we? We always want to point to a human person and say, this is, this is their greatness. No, it's what God is doing. Verse 13. Peter continues, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified her servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. <coughs> Excuse me. Here's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, the same God that you all came to worship in this temple, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this same God has continued to work through his servant, his son, Jesus. But you denied him in the presence of Pilate, who decided to release him in verse 14 is really tough to take. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Here's what he's saying. Jesus came from the same God as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this Jesus, whom you sent to the cross, because you would rather have a murder than the one who said, you are guilty. You never notice how we just can't stand to be told we're guilty. I mean, hypothetically, if you ever got stopped by one of Delroy Beach's finest, and they were to say to you, you know, Phil, you were speeding, hypothetically. Sorry. I don't know. You're just right there, hypothetically. And you would say to him, no, I wasn't speeding. Or even better, there's a lot of other cars that were going faster than me. We always defend ourselves when someone tells us there's something wrong with us. You know, honey, you have nose hairs coming out of your nose. No, I don't really. My hair's white. No one can see them anyway. We always defend ourselves. It wasn't me. It was someone else. I'm as good as everyone else. I'm better than everyone else. That's why we love going to college when they grade on a curve. I'm better than most people. That's how God should grade. 
We don't like the one who says, no, you're going to have to repent. You're not good enough. They reject Jesus because his message is that all of your goodness isn't enough. And they would rather have a murderer released than to have Jesus released. They can't bear, just like us, we can't bear to think that we're wrong, that we're guilty, that we need to repent. So they reject him. But this Jesus is still alive. This Jesus who they had seen do all these miracles before, they'd seen him do all this same type of healing, and now the exact type of healing is happening through his apostles, through his followers. It had to freak him out a little bit. You see, God did these miracles and acts to prove that Jesus is still active and his work goes on. And these healings took place to point to the reality that Jesus is still at work and he's still at work right here, right now in this place. Verse 17, Peter continues, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as you did, so as as did your rulers. In other words, you didn't know this was God's son. Doesn't, it doesn't make it right, but you acted in ignorance. But what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, God said this was going to happen. He was going to send his prophet. He would be rejected. He would suffer. This is something that God foretold. Again, it, it doesn't make it right, but it, God did know this was going to happen. He planned for this to happen. And so we all stand guilty because we all would have crucified Jesus. Verse 19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Let me ask you, when you hear that word repent, does that word sound good? Or does it sound awful? Repent. 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 Have you repented lately? See, what does that mean? This sounds like a spiritual word. It's kind of a theological word. You know, I know you got all these degrees, so you're just trying to whip this on us and make you feel smart and all that. No, really, all it means is to turn around. I was going the wrong way. As I often say, I was trying to get to Jupiter by going down south on 95. You never get there that way, right? It's never going to work. To repent is to say, Jesus, I'm wrong. Can you get that out of your mouth? Let's just do that for a minute. Can everyone say, Jesus, I am wrong? Ready? Jesus, I am wrong. Now, I mean, just honestly, how did that feel? Did it stick in your throat just a little bit? I heard the students over here loud and clear, but I don't know if I heard. You want to try again? Jesus, I am wrong. I want you to feel that. Say, Steve, I've been going to church for a very long time, and surely I am right by now. Let me just tell you, be very careful here. Sometimes we go to church and we think that we got righteous going to church, and hopefully you did, but we, we tend to think of ourselves as, oh, I earned it. No, you didn't. The only goodness you have is because Jesus died for you, because you admitted that you were wrong. I got to turn around to get to Jupiter on I 95. I got to turn around. Peter says, You need to repent. 
you need to turn around, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You see, when you turn around, when you repent, there's this massive amount of ink that gets spilled all over the sheet that keeps track of all of your sin and wipes it out. It's a delete. It removes it from your account, this massive debt that you can never pay. That's what repentance does. Some of us are still trying to make up for what we did. You can never pay that debt. You can never pay that debt. That debt. Verse 20 says, And when you repent, that times of refreshing may come. <sighs> Better than paying off your mortgage. Better than having your wife forgive you for something stupid that you did. Better than getting through some, something you had to do to make up for something you did in class when you were in school. Better than graduating. Your sin's blotted out. It can't be seen. The blood of Christ covers it. There's a refreshing that comes in that. Sometimes I think believers don't repent and they get tired and they get exhausted and they, they feel like they need to be refreshed. What they really need to do is repent and all of a sudden they'll feel a lot better. When you have that healing balm of the blood of Christ cover your sin. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send Christ the appointed for you, Jesus. Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the Holy One long ago, Holy Prophets long ago. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. My sin put Jesus on the cross, but the cross of Jesus paid for my sin. Yeah, I remember that. Jesus died because of my sin, but the price He paid through that cross pays for my sin. Verse 22, Moses said, Peter continues, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul that does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel, those who came after him, also proclaimed these days. Here's what he's saying. All the prophets from Moses on looked forward to these days. There would be a prophet that would come from you, from the Jewish race, from the seed of Abraham. And he would come, he would suffer. And those who reject him would be destroyed. Verse, 30, verse 25. And you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, that's a lot of stuff. But let, me, let me just break this down very simply. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. What does God do? He calls Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm, I'm calling you to leave what you know. Leave your home, leave your family, leave your country. And go to a place that I will show you. One of the greatest acts of faith is to go somewhere that you don't know exactly what's going to happen. I will show you where to go. And as a result of this, the world will be blessed. Verse 3, Genesis 12 says this, I will bless you, and those, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now initially, back in Genesis, it looks like, well, God's just going to bless Abram's family. He's going to bless the rest of the world through him, but I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know whether they're going to, you know, be great musicians and bless the world that way or give the world lots of money or something. What's, what's the blessing going to be? Here's the blessing in verse 26. 
God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you. And here's the blessing. Don't miss this. By turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's the primary blessing. Jesus did not come to make you beautiful, to make you wealthy, to make you healthy, to give you a fun life, to make you popular. Jesus came to turn you from your wickedness. Let me ask you, is that a good thing? Honestly, is that a really good thing? Because some people, we, we kind of like our wickedness, don't we? We kind of like to be bad. I mean, that's what our culture is all about. We choose things that are good and bad, and some things that are bad we make good, even though the Bible says they're bad. For Jesus to turn you away from wickedness, is that a good, is that a good thing? Well, what kind of wickedness are we talking about? When we think of these people, Peter is talking to people who are coming to the temple or coming from the temple or at least hanging out around the temple. These are very much like church people today. They know the Scripture. They're at least making some effort to live according to the Old Testament law. And yet Peter says, the Savior was sent to you to turn you away from your wickedness. See, wickedness is this. Wickedness is thinking that you can earn goodness before God. That's wickedness. It's thinking that I can be good enough. I can make up for what I've done. I don't agree with Jesus that I can never be good enough. Wickedness says I'm good enough on my own. Is there any wickedness in you? Did Jesus need to turn you away from that? You see, to turn away from that requires a miracle to happen. Because we will resist that at all costs. It has to be the convicting power of the Spirit in my life that says, Steve, you know what? You're not good. And you're rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting what He said is true about you. See, that's the wickedness he's talking about. Because that's what separates us from God. It's not really all the bad stuff that you've done, as bad as that is. It's not all the terrible ways you've broken God's law. It is the simple fact that I come before Jesus and said, you know, you really didn't have to die for me. You need to die for those other people over there on that side of the room. But the people on this side of the room, we're pretty good. You needed to die for my neighbor. You needed to die for all those crazy people I see. No, you didn't need to die for me. See, that turning is a miracle. That reality that I see Jesus as necessary for me. That my goodness could never earn heaven. That any degree I would get would never earn heaven. That any amount of goodness I would ever get would never earn heaven. That I needed a Savior to die a shameful death to pay for me. Turning from my sin of being good enough, requires a miracle. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And let me tell you, if you're under conviction right now, if you're sensing that that's you, God is at work in you right now, that's really good news. I don't want to convince you to follow Jesus because someone else could unconvince you. I don't want to convince you to live a certain way because someone else could unconvince you. Rather, I want you to have an encounter with the living God, a miraculous time where He convicts you in your soul and says, you must repent. And follow me.
you have an encounter with God, you'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. That's a miracle. That's the blessing that comes in the turning. You see, no one repents on their own. No one repents just out of the blue and just says, you know what, I just think today I'm just going to repent. Seems like no one does that. It's a work of Jesus Christ in your life. You should be grateful for that miracle. Some people I fear just want to add Jesus to the rest of their goodness. You know what, I've lived a good life, but I feel like I, I, I'm just, I need something to kind of push me over the top. So I'm going to add Jesus to my life, and it's kind of an intellectual thing. Listen, that's not saving faith. Saving faith says I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I'm brokenhearted over my sin. Jesus, would you save me? Have you had a miracle in your life? Have you had a miracle in your life? Or maybe did you just have some intellectual idea that I want to follow? Or, did, or was there a heartbreak in your life where you realized, I've got to repent. I've got to have Jesus in my life. If you haven't had a miracle in your life and you're feeling like maybe there's something stirring in your heart, that's Jesus right now. He's waiting to do a miracle in your life. He's right there. He's right here. He's here right now. I don't care if you've been going to church your whole life. If you've never had a miracle relationship, a miracle experience with Jesus, I don't think you know him. Today's your day. He's knocking on the door saying, will you receive the gift of salvation through repentance, admitting that you're wrong, that you're never going to be good enough? Today's your day. Have that miracle happen. He's waiting to do that in your life. In just a few moments, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. But if you have, maybe you say, you know, I have had that miracle. I, I know I was saved 50 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 minutes ago, a couple weeks ago, whatever. I know that I have. What, what's your response to that? What's your response? Is he free to do whatever he wants to do in your life? Take you wherever you, he wants you to go? have encounters with people he wants you to have encounters with, share his message with people, is that your response? And oh yeah, wouldn't you like others to have the same miracle experience? So that's what that Christmas offering is all about. There's people I will never be able to reach. Well, we have missionaries there. When we give this Christmas mission offering, we're saying I want people all over the world in Florida and Jamaica to know Jesus. I want people to have an opportunity to have that miracle happen in their life that happened in my life. Because by the way, what's that miracle worth to you? What's it really worth to you? I mean, when you think about, well, I don't know how much to give. Do I give $5? If you have an income, you ought to give something. And it ought to be generous. It ought to be over the top. I would urge you, maybe you write, maybe you'd give another month's tithe. Or maybe you tithe on your tithe. Maybe you give 10% of what you've already given. We give every month to support the ministry of this church. But this offering is an effort to go beyond our church, to go to other places that we cannot go. Our target's $40,000. It's a crazy amount, but I believe we can hit that if we'll be honest and prayerful 
and appreciate the miracle that Jesus has done in our lives. Would you pray about what God would have you give? Next week, we're going to collect that. You can give now. You can give any time. You can give to fecdelray.com. You can give in the boxes in the back. You can send in checks. But listen, don't miss the opportunity to invest in the kingdom of God. The band's going to come and play in just a moment. But I'm going to go back to those of you who maybe aren't sure you've ever had that experience. Don't let this moment pass. The God of the universe is present. Jesus is just as powerful and active in this room right now as he was 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. He came to save you. The only reason he hasn't returned and ended this era is because he wants to save people like you. Don't miss this opportunity. Would you pray with me now? Let's bow our heads. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.